Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Vodacy Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and I am really excited today. We're going to talk and dive into the uh, what the markets are doing right now, all this craziness going on in the real estate markets. And we've got, we're joined today by Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President of Adam. So Rick, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Sean. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So can you give us a little bit of an idea what, what you guys do over there at Adam and uh, and why we should be talking about the markets today? Adam, uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Adam provides real estate data to companies in the real estate, mortgage, uh, and insurance industries, as well as educational institutions and government entities. Um, we have information on properties and transactions uh, dating back decades, um, loan information, um, foreclosure data. And then, you know, more recently, we've been adding non-traditional data like school rankings, uh, crime rates, uh, these days, environmental risk and climate risk, and even things like sound. Uh, so it's... Uh, <laughs> For anybody who's looking to incorporate real estate type data into their business operations or to create their own products using that kind of data, uh, those are the kind of companies that we we uh, typically do business with. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us because we are very interested in what's going on in the markets. Obviously, our um, listeners, the majority of them are interested in investing in vacation rentals. So, you know, single family homes, vacation rentals, investing for the long term. And so we're looking at a lot of those different data points ourselves when it comes to what's going on in the markets, um, you know, with supply and demand and prices and foreclosures. And we hear all these different things right now in the news. And so hopefully we can dive into some of that today. So that that's really exciting to have you on. That's that's what I like to talk about. So we're we're, we're in the right we're in the right place, Sean. Awesome, awesome. Well, can you give us a little bit of a high level of you know, and, and maybe I think it's a good place to start of a high level of what are you seeing in the markets right now? You know, there's a lot of people talking about a lot of different things going on, and you know, what are some of the key things that you're seeing right now in the markets that you guys are paying attention to? Well, the market clearly hit an inflection point a couple of months ago, yeah. and. Uh, we were in one of the longest stretches of just a white hot uh, single family um, home market that, that any of us have ever seen. Uh, and then the Federal Reserve started uh, getting involved and mortgage rates went up significantly, pretty much doubled uh, almost yeah. overnight. And that really threw the brakes on the housing market. Um, late last year, I actually started to see in the data that there were some signs of weakening demand. And for for those of your listeners who haven't been in the market long enough to remember what a normal housing cycle looks like, um, yeah. and we haven't had one of those in a long time, right? It, it felt like we were getting into one. And, and what usually happens is the economy heats up. Uh, as that happens, home sales increase. As home sales increase, prices go up. And at some point, prices go up to a level where home buyers just say, no, that's too much money. Uh, and they stop buying. And, and then sales slow down and then prices slow down and uh, eventually the cycle uh, reverses and goes back into kind of uh, overdrive. We were already starting to see signs of that in December and January. Uh, and, and it was because home prices continue to go up 15 yeah. to 20% year over year. Um, and we're offsetting what were then historically low mortgage rates, but with mortgage rates doubling 
um, the affordability became a real, real challenge for a lot of prospective home buyers. Yeah. And, and so we saw home sales really start to seize up. And, and the most recent numbers have been uh, very telling. Uh, in July, I believe uh, the National Association of Realtors reported that home sales were off uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent year over year. In California, which I tend to look at as something of a bellwether state when it comes to real estate trends, yeah. sales were off by 30 percent year over year. Wow. Um, so it's it's been a significant and pretty sudden decline, but it makes sense when you realize that the combination of rising home prices and rising interest rates means that if you bought a house today that you could have bought a year ago, your monthly mortgage payment is going to be 40 to 50% higher. And I don't yeah. know about you or your listeners, but I know my boss didn't give me a 40% raise this yeah. year when, when I asked for it. So, yeah. so that that's where we are in the market today. We're in, we're in uh, uh, what, what is clearly a cooling down period. Uh, there's still, believe it or not, a little bit more demand than supply. But it it's moving toward a more balanced market and and will be a market that is a little bit better for buyers than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Yeah, good. And that's one of the things that uh, that I've been saying um, even for for a while now is we a, a slowdown is a good thing. I mean, it, it, there's no real reason to sustain 15, 18, 20 percent appreciation every year as long as we have. Right. And to your point, it was sustained a lot of times because for a long time because rates were so low right the affordability still was was there and then you know what really drove and has and is still driving this a little bit why it didn't completely come to a halt is because that supply and demand gap seems to have been really wide right we've been that gap has been widening since the last crash and that's where we're like to your point just now is saying surprisingly demand is still more than supply we're you know we think that we're going to see a little bit more of a balanced market that's not a bad thing i don't think personally but but that that gap was so wide and i'm curious on your thoughts about the gap um one of the theories that and i don't look at this as a number but you might is i'm saying i wonder if that supply um is actually going to get even you know stay wide because builders are starting to build again a little bit, but a lot of builders are saying, okay, maybe we're going to slow down a little bit again, but also those resale buyers. If I've got a mortgage and I'm a trade up buyer and I would normally be trading up at a certain point and I've got a 3% mortgage and now my mortgage or my interest rates double, that trade up is a big step up, right? My affordability on that trade up. And so I'm curious if you think that's going to affect supply because the trade up buyers aren't going to be putting their homes on the market. You've hit about nine key points with that question. Sean. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, that's all right. So, so bear bear with me because I want there's a lot to unpack in what you just asked. First of all, you're you're absolutely right about affordability. We we could not continuously see 15, 20% year over year increases. It's unsustainable. It would have led to a bubble. Before you ask, no, I don't think we're in a bubble right now. We can yeah. talk about that more later yeah. if you want. Uh, but but it did need to slow down and, and it is slowing down. One of the fallacies a lot of people have come to believe is that as interest rates go up, prices go down. In fact, historically speaking, that's not true. Yeah. What does happen is that home price appreciation slows down. Yeah. Uh, and so we still, on a year-over-year -year basis, we are still on a hot streak when it comes to home prices, believe it or not. Uh, it, I think July was either the 125th or 126th consecutive month where home prices were higher than they were the year before. But we are starting to see the rate of appreciation come down significantly. In, in California, for example, 
it was 2.9% year over year, which is the lowest increase we've seen in quite some time. Right. So, so that's ultimately going to help affordability. Uh, when we talk about affordability, I, I always talk about three legs of the stool. Uh, one is obviously home prices, and they've been going up. Uh, another is wage growth, and that's something people tend to forget about. But wages yeah. right now are going up about 7.5% a year, which is relatively high. Um, yeah. And mortgage rates, which you mentioned, are the other leg of the stool. And when we were looking at 25 3% mortgage rates, it it counterbalanced those rising home prices. Now that you have mortgage rates doubling and home prices continuing to increase, even at a slower pace, it just makes affordability uh, untenable for a lot of prospective buyers. The demand is not slowing down as much as you'd expect, though, because of demographics. Um, we have the largest cohort in the history of the country of young adults between the ages of 25 and 34. Uh, so we can blame it on the millennials. I, I like to do that uh, <laughs> because they deserve whatever yeah. they get. You know, they're younger, they're more educated, they're better looking. I just, I hate them. Right. So, <laughs> we, we blame everything on millennials, right? Yeah, and I, th I feel a little bit like the guy at the end of the Scooby-Doo cartoon saying, you know, you kids get off my lawn. But um, but but they're coming into the market in, in large numbers. They're looking for a place to live. Uh, it's putting strain actually both on the owner-occupied side of the market and the rental side of the market. Yeah. But this is not speculators coming in and buying stuff on 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 a whim. This is people who are looking for a place to live, and that's what's been driving demand. The inventory levels you talked about uh, were as low as we've ever seen them charted. Uh, they were down below two months supply. In a normal balanced market, you're looking at six months. One of the big differences between this cycle and the, the cycle that led to the Great Recession is that market peaked at about a 13-month supply of homes available for sale. So we had more than twice the, yeah. the number of homes the market could easily absorb. And it was a big overhang. And, and, and we also had 15 million borrowers whose adjustable rate mortgages were resetting. Most of these were really, really bad loans. Um, and they had to sell because they couldn't afford their houses anymore. You compare that to something you, you mentioned, Sean, which is that we have a lot of people today sitting in a house where they have 20, 30, 40% equity would normally be getting ready to move, but they have a two and a half percent mortgage. Yeah. And they don't really want to get a 6% mortgage on a more expensive house. They don't want to sell their house into a market where prices are softening. Um, and so they're just going to wait. So yeah. whereas you have 15 million people who couldn't wait last time, you, you probably have 70% of homeowners today with a mortgage rate below 4%. And if they don't have to sell into a declining market, they're simply not going to. Yeah. So that's going to keep the supply of existing homes relatively low. And the other thing that you mentioned was the builders. They they were starting to build at, at numbers we hadn't seen since the Great Recession. And July numbers, and, and by the way, the building rates during and leading up to the Great Recession were one of the problems. They never got the memo. They kept building after buying, buying it slowed down which led to that overhang. Yeah. This time they got the memo. So in July, we saw the, the construction, the, the starts of single family homes drop by 18% year over year. And that was was strictly an adjustment to, to lower buying rates that the, the builders had seen both in existing homes and in new homes. Uh, interestingly, we also, also saw an increase of 18.5% in construction of multifamily homes. So builders are also reading the tea leaves, seeing that a lot of people can't afford to buy a house. Uh, 
yep. uh, and are, are responding to rental demand. So the, the good news is the builders are not going to build at a pace that gives us a risk of oversupply. The bad news is we're still going to have a little bit of that undersupply issue, and the builders aren't going to fix that in the next uh, eight to 12 months by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and, and it doesn't sound like the the resale buyers really are either as much, right? And and yeah, and so and that's where so like I I just got an email today um uh, from you know just a just a marketing email that says you know there's 1.8 million pre foreclosures get ready for the you know get ready to pick up all these foreclosures and I just have said forever and people just are like oh you're you're crazy and I don't know how it everybody has equity right now. Like, why would somebody foreclose? They There are be people who don't make their payments. There always are, right? There are people who go into pre-foreclosure. There's always houses, but you're not going to foreclose on a house if you've got equity in it. You're going to sell it, right? And so- Well, it, well you, you should. Uh, and logically, that's what you should do. And right. I, whoever sent you that, that email, you should- probably report to the attorney general's office yeah. uh, because it's fraud. Uh, there are not 1.8 million properties in pre-foreclosure. There just are not. Okay. Um, yeah. There in, in fact, delinquency rates on mortgages, which is prior to foreclosure are at pre-pandemic levels. They're, they're actually below historic levels of delinquencies in a normal market. About 4% of loans are delinquent, but not in foreclosure. Today we're at about three point six percent. So it's it's not even an insignificant drop below. Yeah. It's it's significant in foreclosures. Uh, if you look at, at properties in the early stage of foreclosures, we're running at about forty percent of twenty nineteen numbers right now. Um, so that the the two year foreclosure moratorium basically shut down the whole foreclosure pipeline for for the country. Um, we got down to about uh, 20% of normal levels at the, the trough. Uh, and the only thing that was going through foreclosure at that point were commercial loans or vacant and abandoned properties. There are about, all told, there's about 270,000 properties across the country that are in our foreclosure database right now. And we wow. collect what I believe is the most comprehensive uh, set of foreclosure data of anybody we, we collect. Yeah. Counties that cover about 90% of the U.S. population. Um, and in a normal market, there would be about 550,000 because about 1% of loans are, are going to be foreclosure. Yeah. And those are those are people that lost a job, had a divorce, uh, there's death in the family, some other financial catastrophe has befallen that that borrower. Um the there was a there was a meme going around for a while that everybody going into the mortgage forbearance program was going to go into yeah. foreclosure. Yeah. Um, I was jumping up and down saying, no, 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 early on. But the truth is we've had over 8 million people go through that program so far. Less than one half of 1% have defaulted. Yeah. 83% um, have left with a plan in place. Uh, about half of those who didn't have a plan went back into forbearance. The other half were already working with their lenders uh, and their servicers to put a plan in place. And of the people who left with a, pl a plan in place, 87% of them are, are still current on their on their loans. So it's been the most successful program uh, I've ever seen with the government and the mortgage industry working together to achieve a positive outcome. So there is no huge wave of foreclosures coming. Our data at Adam says that 90% of borrowers in foreclosure have positive equity. And a, a stunningly high percentage of, of those people in foreclosure 
have 30 or 40 or 50 percent equity. So yeah. there's no reason for them to lose a property to foreclosure. Some of them will anyway, because they kind of go into a shell, go into denial, sometimes don't know they have the option to sell instead of waiting for that auction to happen. Um, but but there's just there's not another tsunami of foreclosures coming. Right. There's just not. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it and it's an and there, I bring that email up as just an example of don't always just believe everything that you see or read or hear because I I'm, I pulled it up while we're while we're talking and this is the headline or this is the subject 1.8 million in pre foreclosure. The sub headline is the federal foreclosure and eviction moratorium was a disaster. Get ready to buy buy properties at a discount. But they're selling right. They're they're, they're trying to sell the you know okay let's sell my program. I'll show you how to pick those up. But it is, it sounds good, but it's not true, right? We have to look at the data. Anybody who is telling you there's a foreclosure tsunami coming or that the housing market crash is inevitable is selling you something. And whatever they're selling you, you don't want to buy because none of the data supports either of those outcomes. This is not a doomsday scenario. Excuse me. There are, again, fewer people delinquent on loans. And if you're not delinquent, you're not going to go into foreclosure. Um, if you add up everybody who's delinquent right now um, and everybody in foreclosure, you'd have a hard time getting to 1.8 million. Um, now, I, I will say this. Um, if we have a recession, and I, I believe there's a very strong probability we will have a recession, that will have an impact on the numbers. Um, yeah. Not enough that we'd have the kind of crisis we had back in, in 2008, 2011. Uh, but but the numbers will go up a little bit from what we're talking about today. Yeah, uh, it, it's just it, it's inevitable there. You can usually draw a pretty straight line from unemployment rates to delinquency rates to foreclosure rates. Um, but but, you know, if, if you do that today, you're going to see three and a half percent unemployment rates and three point six percent delinquency rates. And, and again, foreclosure rates that are running at 40 to 50 percent of normal levels. So it's just it, the, the again, none of the data says that's what we're looking at. Right, right. And what what are your thoughts on like right? Uh, you've heard the term a technical recession, right? We're in a, we're we're technically in a recession because GDP has dropped two of the previous quarters, right? And and we'll probably, you know, it looks like it with inflation and everything, it probably is not going to you know go up significantly in anytime soon. But we've got. Housing prices that are that are that are calming down, balancing out, but they're still going up. We've got, but more importantly, you've got wages going up, and you've got unemployment at really really low levels. And so, my thought is, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I, you know, I, I kind of buy into that we are technically in a recession, but doesn't feel like a recession right now. Maybe for certain segments of the of the of you know our economy or whatever else, but it if unemployment's really low wages are going up and people are making money as much as banks would love them to just put money in the bank and save it. It's not going to happen. They're going to be spending it. So things are going to be happening. And so what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, it's, it, there's the the distinction between a technical uh, recession and an actual recession. Right. I, was, I was moderating a panel with three chief economists, one from uh, Fannie Mae, one from CoreLogic and one from the National Association of Realtors. And I, I asked them the question, are we going to have a recession? And uh, the economist from Fannie Mae said, yes, next year it'll be mild and moderate. 
The economist from CoreLogic said it's coin toss. It's 50-50. I, I can't predict it one way or the other. And, and I thought the, the comment from the, the economist from the NAR was probably the best of all. He said, we might have a economy, we might have a recession, but it might not matter. And I, right. I looked at him <laughs> and he said, look, let's let's say we're already in a recession. And this was in the second quarter of this year. He said, does it feel like a recession? He said, maybe the GDP is down, but jobs are up, home sales are strong, um, wages are going up, unemployment's low. Does that feel like a recession to anybody? And and his point I thought was really well well taken. So I I don't believe we're in a recession right now, uh, even though that we've had those two consecutive quarters that have only been marginally negative. Right, the last one right. Was just adjusted to 0.6 negative. Right. Uh, forecasts for this quarter are that it will be positive. Uh, you can you can point to corporate purchasing as the culprit, the main culprit in the the first two quarters being soft. Because we've had all this supply chain volatility, yes. corporations probably overbought uh, last year because they were having a hard time getting anything in store. Now they have too much, and so they they slow down on buying. Um, and even with consumer spending still being relatively strong, they they have a bit of an oversupply issue themselves. Um, so I, I believe that was a temporary uh, pickup. Uh, I I do think we're going to see a recession. I think it for two reasons. Um, one is, and without getting too inside baseball on your on your podcast listeners, yeah. uh, there's something called a, a yield curve and, and yield yeah. curve inversion. And it's when interest rates on short-term loans and long-term loans trade places. Um, with the Fed continuing to raise Fed funds rates, which are the shortest of short-term loan rates, we're already seeing a yield curve inversion and it's likely to continue for a while, maybe even get a little bit worse. Um, Historically speaking, when you have one of those, you you typically see a recession that follows. I think something like 12 of the last 13 times that's happened since World War II, we've had a recession in the next 12 to 15 months. The other, the other data point that leads to this is the Fed itself. So um, the Fed really only has one tool at its disposal right now to slow down inflation, and that's raising the Fed funds rate. Um, and I, I grew up on the East Coast. You live in Utah. We, we both yeah. learned to drive in the winter. And if you're on an icy road, there are two ways to stop. One is better than the other. The, the better way is you tap gently and quickly on the brakes, come to a controlled stop and slowly pull off the road. The other is you slam on the brakes as hard as you can and you skid into a ditch. Um, the Fed right now is at a point where it's had to slam on the brakes. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's almost inevitable that we will skid into a, a recessionary ditch. In fact, if you look at the last 11 times the Fed has raised the Fed funds rate in order to slow the economy down, in order to get inflation under control, eight of those times, they've done it after inflation had already risen. And in all eight of those times, we wound up with a recession 12 to 15 months later. Yeah, There is nobody, including people on the Fed, uh, who will say they didn't wait too long this time. Yeah. Um, and inflation is the highest it's been in the last 40 years. So uh, it, it's the, the fact that Chairman Powell has mentioned a recession in his comments, has mentioned that he will continue to do whatever it takes to get inflation back down to their 2% target, even though it will cause pain uh, to the economy, uh, tells me that they're also anticipating a recession. Um, it's just going to be a question of when, how deep, and how long. But, right. but I'm... I'm I'm with the economist from Fannie Mae that I think it'll probably be sometime next year. 
it'll be fairly moderate and fairly short. And that's what I'm I'm hoping is the case. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you look at recessions historically, you probably know these numbers a lot better than I do. But we've gone, we go through a recessionary, like these corrections, right? Pretty regularly. It's normal for the market to do that. And it doesn't always feel like the two, the great recession, right? It, it, oh, no. it, I think everybody hears the word recession. And sometimes we relate, we're like, oh, that, that last one was brutal, right? We don't want to go through that. And they assume that all recessions are that way. And that's not the case. Recessions are, are usually normally mild. And we should have already had one before now, right? To your point of waiting too long, we probably should have already seen a little bit of a recession instead of that, you know, since we recovered from the Great Recession, things have just been going straight up. We had a we had an overnight recession when the government shut everything down for COVID. Um, we we yeah. we had we had two quarters with negative growth. One was the the lowest negative growth in the history of of monitoring the GDP, even yeah. worse than the Great Depression, by the way. Yeah. Um, but it was followed by the highest single quarterly increase in GDP. Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, we lost twenty two million jobs overnight, um, and all of those have been recovered since since then yeah. in a very short period of time you're right about the great recession and in fact i think we have ptsd in the housing market <laughs> as well yeah. from that recession because I, I i can rarely speak to a group where i don't have somebody raise their hand and say you're crazy if you don't think a housing crash is coming every time home prices go up like this they crash and they don't yeah it's i i because i'm desperately in need of a better hobby I actually went out and researched the last hundred years of home prices. Um, that that shows you how sick the sickness is. And we've had a sustained period of a twenty percent decrease exactly once in the last hundred years, and it was during that Great Recession. But a lot of people in our industry today entered during the Great Recession. They've never yeah. been through a normal housing cycle. They've never been really through a normal recessionary period. I mentioned how many jobs we lost. Unemployment peaked at about 15% nationally with the shutdown due to the pandemic. If you compare that to the Great Recession, uh, unemployment peaked at about 11%. And unemployment was across the board, white collar, blue collar, government jobs, yeah. you name it, people lost jobs. Uh, in this current recession, the pandemic recession, most of the job losses were in the service sector, almost all of them. Uh, retail, restaurants, travel, tourism, hospitality, entertainment. Yeah. Um, and so it felt different even, even then. But it took us 10 years to recover the jobs lost during the Great Recession. To put that in, in context for people, that was the end of the Bush administration, the entire Obama administration, and the first part of the Trump administration. That's how long it took us to finally recover from that recession in terms of, in terms of jobs. To your point, most of them are much shorter than that. They're a matter of months, not a matter of a decade. Um, they 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 tend not to be as as severe as either what we saw with COVID nineteen or what we saw during the the Great Recession. Um, and and by the way, an interesting side note as we're talking about housing is if you go back and research uh, housing performance during recessions, uh, which which I've also done, um, home prices tend to go up during the course of a recession. Yeah. And in fact, in almost every recession since World War II, housing was one of the components that took the economy back out of the recession uh, into, a, into a period of growth. There was one exception to that, and that happened to be, again, the Great Recession, which you could argue housing took us into 
because of the housing yeah. market crash and the financial meltdown. So uh, even if we do have a recession, uh, people that are interested in the housing market should should take heart in the fact that housing usually performs better than the overall economy. Right. And and we've, uh, you know, I was going to ask you about this, too, because a lot of times that sometimes uh, we see fueling demand in the housing market, too, is you, you get a lot of investors like ourselves trying to hedge against inflation. Right. We're we're saying, OK, we're we, we're going to invest in hard assets. We like hard assets during inflationary times with leverage in real estate, you know, not over leverage, but you can put 25, 30% into a property. And even if it's only going up 3%, you're still hedging yourself really well against inflation. And we see a lot of people wanting to put money into those, those assets for that reason right now. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I guess they call it a flight to safety. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're looking for a more tangible asset than, than paper. Um, the stock market will, has been extremely volatile, will probably yeah. continue to be volatile. Uh, even the bond market is showing some volatility, which is kind of unusual. So, you know, th that your your options are, are kind of a little bit limited. If you have an asset that will appreciate it two or three percent a year and it's cash flowing for you. Yeah. Uh, and you're using leverage. Um, it, it, it sounds like a pretty good opportunity for me. And I, I will also say for uh, any any of your your podcast listeners who happen to be cash investors, uh, for the moment, at, at least, you're in a position of extraordinary competitive advantage. Yeah, uh, because you're dealing, you're, you're no longer dealing with two dozen consumer home buyers who are looking to buy the same property, uh, and the ones that are looking to buy are looking at five and six percent mortgage yeah. rates. Uh, so, so you, again, you're kind of in the catbird seat right now. The one thing I, I would suggest is for for people who are using leverage. It's very likely if you're looking at at private money, private loans, which I know a lot of them are, uh, that your lenders are going to get a little bit more picky uh, about some of the loan terms themselves. They're going to look for investors who have a track record uh, and be more open to to making loans to them during a, a volatile period. They'll probably be looking very, very closely at your your estimated values, uh, both as is and as repaired. Uh, and they're they're definitely going to be looking at the amount of money you put down. So it would not be a huge yeah. surprise to see you know your your LTV uh, go a little bit lower. Your the amount of money you're putting down be a little bit higher during a period like this than it was you know several months ago. Yeah, and we and we saw that, and and in our group specifically, our Vodacy family, and we're we're investing in short term rentals. We're not necessarily getting a lot of those private money or short-term bridge loans because we're not doing any fix and flip, right? We're buying them for the long-term. Now it's a lot harder to underwrite deals because as rates go up, affordability goes up, our payments go up, and there's only so much on the backside demand and revenue that we can make. So you have to really be careful about the markets and, and how you underwrite them. But when it comes to the lenders, we have seen that the last few the the last few months. In fact, when everything really started, like when they really started spiking interest rates, we had a, a few of our lenders say, "Hey, we're going to hold off on on this asset class right now. We're gonna we're not going to lend to anybody that's buying anything." And then they they started coming back out. But a couple of weeks later, they started saying, "Okay, we're going to lend." But now instead of our, our 20% products or 20% down product, you're putting 30% down, right? And so we're having to put more money down. And now, now just now, I think they're starting to come back and say, okay, we're going to, maybe we'll may let you do it at 25%. But to your point, a lot of them are coming to us saying, you have to have some experience. 
you've got to have done this before. We want to know, like they're looking at a lot more things than they used to. And so, which I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, frankly. I mean, I don't, I, I think that there, there's nothing wrong with them being a little more cautious and saying, um, you know, maybe learning from what we did before, because yeah, I mean, you know, 14 years ago or 15 years ago, you could fog a mirror and get a loan and, and it was not a good thing for us, right? <laughs> I, there, was, there was a story in our local newspaper here, I remember about an investor, and I'm using, I, I should use air quotes for investor yeah. here, who owned eight properties in the city of Santa Ana, uh, and all eight of them were in foreclosure. And it turned out that this investor, uh, her full-time job was she was a cleaning lady. Uh, she made about $40,000 a year. Uh, and somebody thought it was a good idea to give her eight separate loans on investment properties. Um, they were all, you know, probably 0% down. And oh. just, just, it was a, it was a, a, a huge, huge, it was just a catastrophe waiting to happen. And it happened. Um, you know, one of the things your, your Vodacy folks need to keep in mind is that the, the private lenders are not being, are not trying to be unreasonable or, or trying to yeah. be difficult. Uh, one, they are trying to mitigate risk during a, a period of volatility. And the other is, you know, most of them don't have their own capital. So they yes. have to raise capital in order to make yeah. loans. Uh, and their their capital providers are getting more conservative in a time like this as well. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of uh, how this stuff all flows downhill. Uh, and yeah. and so so the terms that you're going to get or the are, are probably going to be a little less favorable than they were six months ago. And the and the hurdles you're going to have to jump over are be just a little bit higher. But yeah. there's, there's still money out there and they're still making loans. Yeah. And there's still, and there's still deals out there if the deal underwrites correctly, right? If you're an investor, like we are, like I just bought a property, you know, less than a month ago and the rates were higher and I paid a higher price, but it underwrote really well for the long term. It cash flows for me. And that's what I'm really buying the property to do. And, and so we're, uh, it, is it harder? Yeah. Is it, is it, do you have to make sure you, you know, you, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted? Yes, but you should have even in doesn't, that doesn't matter whatever market you're in. You should be doing that anyways. Right. People always ask us, what are we doing differently on our underwriting? We're like, we're really not doing anything different. We're doing the same type of underwriting. We have to underwrite with the environment we're in though. Right. The underwriting is the same. The environment changes a little bit. Yeah. You change your metrics a little bit, but you don't change what you're measuring. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. and it's it's important. And, and I, 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 I want to circle back to something we were talking about, if you don't mind. Love it. I, 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 I do know that a lot of real estate investors like to pursue foreclosure properties. And, and I don't want to give people the wrong impression. There are going to be foreclosure properties available. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there aren't going to be as many. And if, if you are somebody interested in buying them, you're going to have to do it differently than you did during that last cycle. Uh, the last cycle, almost everybody in foreclosure was underwater on their loans. Yeah, They really didn't have much of an option but to, to lose the property to foreclosure. A lot of these things weren't even selling at the foreclosure sales because the banks couldn't handle that kind of a loss. They had to mark the property yeah. down so far to sell at the auction. So the way to buy then was you waited for the lender to repossess the property. That property would ultimately, ultimately get marketed as a bank-owned property. You could get it at a discount. Um, that's not going to happen this time. Uh, this time, if you want to buy a foreclosure property, your best bet really is to go find those borrowers who are in the earliest stage yeah. of foreclosure and negotiate a deal directly with them that gives them enough to pay off the delinquency and, and the loan, put some money in their pocket, but still gets you a property a little bit below market. Um, your second best bet is to go to the auctions because my auction company friends 
tell me that at the sales, at the trustee sales, the sheriff sales, the sell-through rate is at an all-time high. There's 60 or 70% of the properties going to auction selling through. Yeah. So if you factor in a higher degree of sales in the early stage of foreclosure, 60 to 70% of what gets to auction being sold at the auction, that just doesn't leave a lot for the, the lenders to take back. Yeah. And there's not, so there's just not going to be a lot of supply of those kind of properties for your investors to buy. So, you know, the, 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 the learning here, the takeaway here is if you're interested in those properties, you're going to have to move upstream. Yes. That's look at a the auctions, look at the pre foreclosures. Great point. In fact, I remember being when we were in the game back in the last crash, it's a really, really distinctive point for those of you listening. And I, I want to kind of re, re repeat it really, because back then we would wait, we'd have to wait. Like the biggest agents in any market were the REO agents because yeah. they were selling all the, the homes, but they weren't selling like your point. The bank couldn't afford to wait to sell them at the, at the auction. But you also, when you would go to the pre-foreclosure or find somebody on the, they, they were in pre-foreclosure or delinquency list and you reach out to the homeowner, well, they were so far upside down that it made no sense for as an investor to buy them at that stage, right? We're like, man, you can't, so that's when we we sometimes you try to negotiate a short short sell, but that took forever, right? So it was it was really a difficult process. You were buying them at the end of the foreclosure stage. This time, to your point, the opportunity is to to find those delinquency lists, go to some of those people that are that are struggling right now, negotiate with them to put some money in their pocket. You probably still can get a nice discount on the property, make them whole, get the property paid off. Put some money in their pocket and everybody's happy. And uh, and and due to your point of that percentage on the sell-through percentage at the auctions, that's way way higher than it was yeah. back back in the old crash. Yeah, even even under normal circumstances, yeah. it, it's usually if you get a thirty to thirty-five percent sell-through rate, you're having yeah. a pretty good auction. So sixty to seventy percent is just off the charts, and yeah. it's partly because there's just not a lot of inventory available. So people yeah. are buying what, whatever they can find. Um, and shameless self-promotion here. I will I will warn that in advance. Uh, we do have a product at Adam called Adam List, where you can put together a marketing list of those kind of homeowners in your own geography. So it's a awesome. It's it's a pretty inexpensive product. You just kind of get a list on a one-off basis. So awesome. anybody interested, just check out the Adam Data website. Yeah, awesome. And and. Um... When we talk about Rick, and and we'll kind of, I know we'll we'll kind of get toward the end of our time. I think you and I could go back and forth on this. Um, I, I love talking about this stuff because so many people get upset all the time when they're like, "Oh, you're just trying to tell us to, you know, invest, or you're just trying to sell a course, or you're just trying to get people interested in investing because that's what you do." When I tell them a crash isn't coming, and hey, listen, you, it, I'm not telling you that there's not going to be any corrections, or we're not seeing a right. shift right now. There's no question we're seeing a shift. Yeah. It's understanding how to play whatever game you go into, right? Real estate's a big, wide world, and so you you have to understand it at a, as a at a whole, and then you also have to understand each individual asset class that you're going into because there's demand on the back end for whatever asset class it is, whether it's multifamily, single family rentals, short term rentals, whatever that is. You have to understand what that demand is on that and the market affects that. But when we talk about the crash and you say, and I always get, and I don't know if you do, um, people ask me, should I just wait till, well, should I just wait till everything's over? Like, what would you tell somebody that is, and my answer to them is, one, you shouldn't get into something you don't understand. There's no question, right? Don't don't just get in because somebody's telling you to get in. Understand the market you're getting in, why you're getting into it, what your property goals are, what your ultimate goal is for the type of asset you're buying. But I've been doing this for 22 years. And 
and and the people who I know that have been doing it for a long time, we buy on the ups, we buy on the downs, and things change a little bit. But we're doing it for the long term. We're not doing we're not buying for speculation, right? I'm not buying to hopefully it goes up and I'm reselling. I'm buying for cash flow. And so if somebody says to you, well, Rick, you know, knowing what you see in the markets, should I just wait? Like, what would you say to somebody like that? There's an old saying in real estate that that comes to mind, which is the best time to buy a house was 15 years ago. Yeah. Second best time is today. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we were talking about this earlier. If, if you were going to buy the same property today that you could have bought a year ago, the combination of interest rate and home price increases would make would mean your monthly payment is 40 to 50 percent higher than it was a year ago. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be looking at that kind of difference a year from now. Yeah. But the reality is, best case scenario, interest rates are plateauing. Uh, they they may not go much above six percent for a conventional loan. Your investor loans are going to be a yeah. little high. Yeah. Um, home prices will continue to go up in most markets, just at a slower pace. So. If you're in a market where you think there's the likelihood of a correction, and, and there will be some markets where we'll see prices dip maybe 5 to 10%, uh, coastal California might be an area, Austin or, or some other high-flying markets. Last year, uh, somewhere close to you, St. George's, Utah, yeah. Out, of, yeah. out of nowhere had 35% uh, yearly home, home price increases. Boise, Idaho, 45%. You might have some markets like that where you're going to see prices crawl back a little bit. But to your point, Sean, if you're if you're looking at it from the long term, historically home prices go up and down, but but over time they always go up. Yeah. Um, so, are you going to give up uh, a year of cash flow uh, and a year of appreciation, banking on what you hope will be a short term dip in home prices? Uh, I I don't know that that's a good strategy for anybody. Yeah. Um, if but again, if you're in one of those markets where you think there might be a short term correction. Will waiting a couple of months kill you? Probably not. No. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I, you know, people trying to time the market. Uh, it's a little bit like trying to time the stock market. Rarely works. Yeah. Um, causes more people to lose money than than to make money. Uh, and and I, I hope none of your listeners are in the arbitrage model where they're yeah. they're buying a buying a property hoping to bank in on on short term appreciation. Yeah, they, it's, they... it's historically been a terrible terrible model for the housing market. Yeah, yeah, it, it it causes way more problems and people just get burned. It, it to when you're just trying to time the market instead of learning how to play the game that you're getting into for the long term and and cash flow, right? I love cash flow producing real estate. Um, we happen to be in in short term rentals, but anything multifamily, single family rentals, um, you know, anything that's a cash flow producing asset, I think is uh, is something that that is good for most average everyday people to be able to, to, to help them start to reach that lifestyle financial freedom that they're after. Right. And so, but trying to speculate arbitrage and time a market to, to buy just for the appreciation and time it, it, uh, I mean, it's one, it, it was one of the factors of what got us into the mess in 2008, right? There, oh, was a, there was a number of factors, but that was one of them. I remember buying, I was, I was doing fix and flips back then. And I had a fix and flip business. I would buy houses, and we'd gut them out and we'd fix them up and we'd sell them and we'd make our target, our target profit on those was somewhere between, you know, 40 to 60,000 is what we would try to make on a, on a rehab project. At that time, I remember getting really frustrated for people that I knew, like friends and family that were actually getting into, they would buy a house 
literally hold it for two months and sell it for as much as much profit as I was making and, and doing a full rehab that took me, you know, three to six months. And I remember thinking, how is this? Like, it just doesn't seem right. Like, it just didn't, it just, it just was like irking me almost like I was like a jealous probably more than anything because I just didn't play that game. But it was, it was, I saw it firsthand that that's the game that was being played by a lot of people. It was, it was a nightmare. I, I remember we would, we would be driving home. My wife would look at a neighbor's, uh, you know, uh, the front of their house and there'd be two boats in the driveway. Yeah. Um, and, and she'd say, how can they afford that? And they said, they can't, this is going to come back to haunt them. Yeah. And, you know, sure enough, it was somebody who, who tapped into home equity. Oh my gosh. Treated their house like, like an ATM. And those were the houses I could predict were going to be in foreclosure in a couple of months. And yep. sure enough, they were. So it's a tougher market for flippers right now than it yeah, is for, for sure. and hold investors. Yeah. For sure. And, and if anybody, if I were going to give anybody counsel to be really careful and, and maybe think through every purchase a little bit more judiciously uh, than, than ever, it'd probably be flippers. Yes. Yeah. Because in a flipper, you know this from your business, but the ideal market is low inventory, high demand, rapidly rising prices. That's yeah. that's a flipper's heaven. And at least a couple of those things aren't at play right now. So yeah. it's a good time to be careful. But if you're in it for the long haul, you're going to hold on to a property. You know that over time it will appreciate in value, even if it's marginal and, and the property has been cash flowing. You're going to you're going to turn a nice profit on it. Yeah, uh, it's it. And and to your point, whether markets are going up or down, uh, as long as you do the math properly, you're you're protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rick, man, this has been a pleasure having you on. We could uh, I think this has been uh like I know our listeners were waiting for this conversation. I've been kind of been teasing them that you've been coming on for a little while. So um, I really, really appreciate you joining us. Where can, where should we point people? If somebody's like, Hey, I want to get more of Rick. I want to hear more about Adam or what can, where can they find you and what you guys are doing? So Adam data, A T T O M. There's two T's in the name um, are on our website in the insights section. We're publishing reports every week. They're free. Uh, they cover just about every aspect of the real estate market. So, you know, check that out or check out our, our social media um, on on uh, on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn, on Twitter. And you can follow me. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. I post pretty frequently. Uh, it's just my name, Rick Sharga. So uh, hard to miss. If you do want to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, just mention that uh, you saw me on Sean's podcast because I get a lot of unsolicited invitations yeah. on LinkedIn and I'm I'm uh, I'm scared sometimes by by who seems to be inviting me. So if I know that you're a friend of Sean's, at least I'll 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 have that to to work with. Awesome, awesome, Rick. Well, we we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. And those of you listening, we will uh, we'll post all of Rick's contact information where you can find him on LinkedIn, and then also Adam um, going to their website for some of those reports and some of the insights that they are sharing, so that you can dive into that stuff. We'll put post those in the show notes. And as always, thank you for being the best part of this show and joining us. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. And as always, go pick one thing that you can do today to start building that life that you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit modesty.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.